0: I'm again focusing today on Paul's journey from to Rome. Um, have you ever taken a trip with with a man? It's it's always a man who um, arrives at a destination, and he gets out of the car and he looks at his watch and he says, "20 hours and 14 minutes from my driveway to your front door," and his family gets out of the car and and it's like, war- they look like warmed over death, and it's like. Well, we made it another trip with Dad on one of those nightmare trips. Um, it's always a man who, who, is, who is that way. Some things you only get through life, through, through the wisdom of time. And for me, one of those things is learning that the point of the journey in life is not simply to get from point A to point B. But it is doing the journey right. Hopefully, with some fun. <laughs> what a thought, and not cutting corners. Life journey, as any of us knows, can be rough. Um, Paul's journey that I'm referring to and talking about was no cakewalk. It was no easy thing. And I'm, I've got the subheading on this little series, uh, A Personal Roadmap. For us, because the principles that we see lived out and played out in Paul's journey are also precepts, biblical precepts, that are timeless and have a full application in our lives. And today I'm going to talk about four significant lessons in Acts 27 that are what I'm kind of calling storm principles or lessons in the storm. We saw last week in the teaching that the Roman leaders on this ship, this prison boat that Paul was herded onto, uh, they ignored Paul's advice. He said, um, this is going to be a bad trip. This journey has extreme dangers connected with it. And uh, they said, we're Romans, we're the leaders of the known world, and, and we know better. And the result was that they found themselves in a storm which could have been avoided. It could have been avoided. So the first lesson that I want to talk about in this uh, teaching time today is that sin has consequences. Now, uh, righteousness has consequences too. But sin has consequences. Proverbs 13 And uh, 15 says, the way of the unfaithful is hard. The old King James says, the way of the sinner is hard. It's a hard way. These Roman military leaders and and, and bosses, um, they thought their word was the final word. That's like someone in the world that thinks that their view of life is the final word. It's my truth, not your truth. And it's your truth and not my truth. I have the final word of what I believe. And when we go blasting past all the signals that God gives us to follow his way and to do the right thing, we have consequences. And those consequences are called the judgment of God. People talk about the judgment of God as if it's some kind of arbitrary thing that he just decides to shoot out a lightning bolt upon someone or some nation or some uh generation of people like i just don't like you you know um you remember herman the 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 farmer herman that had his crops didn't do good and his and his wife was sick and his kids weren't doing good in school and his and he was having all kinds of problems and he went out and his tractor wouldn't start and he just sat down and he said god what is wrong nothing's got nothing's going right with me And God said, I don't know, Herman, there's something about you that just ticks me off. (laughs) Sometimes we feel like that, don't we? We feel like we're the ones got the X on our head. And it's like God's judgment just goes, you, I just don't like you. Something about you just ticks me off. Well, it's not that way. God's judgment is the consequence of sin. God's judgment comes when people disobey the Lord. There's a cause. Sin. Listen, folks, you can't kill 50 million babies since 1973 and not have the blood of the innocent on the hands of your nation. Can I get an amen, please? You can't kill 50 million babies without having the innocent blood on the hands of a nation. There are consequences, and we don't get over that by just saying, I'm sorry. You know, have you ever heard someone that struggles to say, I'm sorry, and they just say, sorry? That's how our nation wants to do. Our nation wants to say, sorry, my bad. It's not enough. It's not enough. There are consequences. There are costs to sin that don't just go away. I just read Joel chapter 1 in the message I'm going to read some excerpts from Joel chapter one to you from the Message Bible. Sober up, you drunks! Get in touch with reality and weep. Your supply of booze is um, your supply of booze is cut off. Weep like a young virgin dressed in black, mourning the loss of her fiancé, without grain and grapes. Worship has been brought to a standstill in the sanctuary of God. The priests are at a loss. God's ministers don't know what to do. Vineyards dried up. Fig trees are withered. Pomegranates, date palms, apple trees, dead wood everywhere. And joy is dried up and withered in the hearts of the people. God's judgment day has come. The strong God has arrived. This is serious business. Yeah, Joel, I get it. This is serious business. Some things have to be paid for. Ever think about that? And if I could speak to America right now, I would say it's payday. It's at least the beginning of payday. And I'm not just referring to COVID-19. I'm not just referring to the present challenge. I'm referring to our nation on a slippery, slidey course of sin. That's become very obvious, very obvious. And if my heart were not established in the word of God, I would be scared spitless in this hour. I'm telling you, Family. So how do we stay clear? Has God just left us to the, to the avalanche of what's going on? Are we, just like a little, uh, are we just like a little ball in an avalanche that just gets pushed down the, the slope of the mountain? How do we maintain footing in the day of judgment? We do it like Paul did it on the ship when the bad storm came because they ignored wise counsel. We do it like Israel did it in the day when Egyptian plagues were sweeping throughout the land, and the people were dying and choking, and their children were dying, but they kept themselves into God's covenant. They kept themselves sheltered under the blood of the, blood of the Lamb, which is the only safe place to be in the day of judgment. It's the only safe place to be but listen, family, there are consequences to sin that are unavoidable. It's like, it's, it's like the consequences of gravity. You don't just go out and jump out of a tree and, because you want to ignore the law of gravity. Something bad's still going to happen. And it does. But there are also consequences, as I said, to righteousness, which are also unavoidable, just like the consequences of of sin are unavoidable, and the consequences of God's mercy for the righteous or God's judgment to sin, get this, flow down to those who are on board with us. In Acts 27, Paul was in the middle of a disaster, which resulted In those in authority, because of those in authority ignoring his word, ignoring the word of wisdom, ignoring the word of the Lord. But Paul was on board that boat, and so the Lord came to him and he said this, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Isn't that an interesting verse? God has granted you all those who sail with you. I'm almost hesitant to say what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it with a caveat. I have no prideful swagger in my attitude in saying what I'm getting ready to say. I have no prideful swagger. I, I, I have no pronouncement of how great... We are how great our faith is. We're only 120 souls approximately at Southgate Fellowship. But not one of us, not one person that's identified with our body has been touched by the COVID-19 virus. And I have only praise to God for his mercy in that. I have no pride in saying it. I just thank God for it. I thank God for his mercy that not one of us has fallen prey. And I pray that will continue. I pray that. He said to Paul, not only will your life be saved, but all those on board with you. I think God gave me I think I had a. I think I had a fender bender with COVID-19 back at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, two and a half months. And when the Lord spoke to me in my backyard and gave me five things I needed to do, there was an awareness of that in that also that I was doing that for the body of Christ. I was doing it for the church. I was standing in the place of God's people. I take no pride in saying that. It's just what I felt. Listen to me, family. Be the one that stands in your family. Be the one that, and I'm not talking about mask or not mask. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about getting under the blood. I'm talking about getting into the Word. I'm talking about walking straight, walking right, doing the right thing instead of the easy things. How many families, how many families, uncountable how many families have been turned from darkness to light because a father prayed or a mama prayed, a prayer in the midnight hour, How many families have been turned in that way? God said, My mercy isn't just for you, it's also for those who are on board with you, Paul. There's a cost for sin, but there's also a gift of mercy for the righteous. Number one is their cost. The second lesson is, a soft witness usually precedes a bold witness. Remember Proverbs 15.1? A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Powerful verse, isn't it? I hear a lot today. I hear a lot of anger today. I hear a lot of this. You get loud, I'll get louder. I hear a lot of this in the news media especially. I'm going to tell you what I think, and it's going to be loud and clear. Have you noticed how many? This is unusual, I think, in our day. I've I've never seen it like this. How many? Maybe you haven't noticed this, but I've noticed it. How many women, young women, almost all millennial women, who are screaming F-bombs? at reporters and police and anyone in authority or anyone who just shows up, how many women are crossing over that line and screaming? I mean, they are livid with anger and with a spirit that is a bullying spirit toward our authority figures. I've never seen anything like it. It's a spirit of bullying. It's a spirit of anger. It's a spirit of just plain rudeness just plain rudeness which seeks to uh, rule over those who think differently than me give them no credibility even no right to express their view because I'm going to overlay you I'm going to scream louder than you wow That's what scares me about America. But in Paul, listen to his witness. We see it first in a quiet submission. He only spoke more boldly after he had won the trust of the people that were the leaders in the boat. And by the way, how did he win their trust? By submitting to their authority even though he doubted they were proceeding in wisdom. He was submitted to their authority even when he doubted the wisdom of where they were going. Then after the consequences were obvious says this, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. Yeah. I want to share with you again an excerpt from a prophetic word that was brought by Jeremiah Johnson. Got it here somewhere. Well, I think I do. Put this down. Hmm. Oh, it's way back in here. Wow. No telling what's in there. I wonder what's in there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I never look in there to see what's in there. Got to be something really on. great in there. I don't know. This was back at the back. It's a prophecy from uh, Jeremiah Johnson that I got. It's dated. uh, The email that it was forwarded to me from a friend of mine is dated November of 2018. So just give you a little idea of the context there, the date context. Uh, Just an excerpt from this. The old wineskin in the church is currently trembling... Because the saints are over, the one-man ministry does all model. They are looking for fathers and mothers who are willing to roll up their sleeves and do life with them. They don't care much about the sermons anymore. They're actually looking for church leaders to model a healthy marriage and what it looks like for your kids to serve the Lord. The old wineskin in the church is confused because the saints came Because the saints can see through and recognize fake more than ever before. The days of plastic smiles and worshiping platform ministry are over. The living room in people's homes is now becoming the main attraction and focus. The saints are going to be taught and learn how to steward the presence of God in their homes before they ever try to welcome him in the church services. Now, you might not like Jeremiah Johnson. There's some dramatic things he does that I kind of go, wow, I don't know. But I think God uses him. I think God uses him. What he's referring to there is something I'm very familiar with, and some of you may not be. And it is that in the past, old school ministers focused on quote-unquote, platform ministry. That's what he's talking about, platform ministry. In my growing up years, I was almost never in the pastor's home. I didn't know what the inside of the pastor's house even looked like, really, growing up. That's a small town. We never thought of the pastor having people in their home. Uh, We thought they were the pastors 24 hours a day. They had to sleep in their suits and their shoes and their tie and they were just that all the time, and it wasn't that you, could, you know, it wasn't anything normal. And that's what Jeremiah Johnson is calling the old wineskin, because today God is calling us, as He's saying, to personal ministry, not platform ministry, where we live out the demonstration of our messages. And then He wraps up this prophecy with kind of a, uh, a bullet point list of what new, new, uh, new wineskin leaders will demonstrate and teach by their life. And this is, the, this is the bullet point list. Drop the microphone. Get off the stage. Fire the armor bearers and the entourage. Stop hiding in the green room. Be accessible and available to the people. Don't ask people to do anything you won't do. Father and mother through discipling, be real and transparent. Share the mistakes. Value the prayer room over the platform. Don't compromise the word of God. Invite saints into your home and lifestyle. Empower and make room for for others to lead. Train, equip, and release. Multiplication and legacy are the standard. Humility brings honor, and pride repels saints. That's a pretty powerful bullet list. They saw Paul in the middle of the storm. He wasn't in some green room somewhere. They saw his humanity. They saw him when people disagreed with him. But he had a soft witness before he had a loud witness. He lived it in humility first. I love that. Next lesson. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is also practical. Look again at Acts 27. And as a day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day. You've waited and continued without food And eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, we were two hundred and seventy persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, They lighted the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is to eat a good meal. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is, I say, go fishing. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do, and I'm talking to myself here, is take a nap. I don't do that easily or I, I just don't, hardly, don't, hardly can do it. But take a nap sometimes. You need to. Frida Lindsay believed. She said, she always had that crooked little finger. You know. She said, I believe in taking a nap every day. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is, is, is change your habits of eating. When I was sick those two and a half months from November of last year through to the beginning part of January of, of this year. When I was sick during those days, one, one of the things that the Holy Spirit nailed me on was to start eating right, start eating a balanced diet. I was not at all I noticed almost all the commentaries I read about this portion here, about them not eating for 14 days, because I was puzzled by it. Almost all commentaries agree that Paul couldn't have meant that they actually ate nothing for 14 days, because men on a ship like that, doing what they were doing in a storm, would not have been able to even function if they had eaten nothing for 14 days. The idea seems to be That they had taken no time to actually stop and eat. They were eating probably like I was eating during that beginning part after my wife was gone. And it was just kind of eating something, whatever, and not really thinking a lot about it and not caring a lot about it. They were just kind of eating that way. But they had food in the cargo because it mentions that they lightened the load by throwing the wheat overboard. And wheat is Raw wheat is very edible. I've, I've worked in the fields as a, as a farmer's kid, and I'd get, I'd get hungry sometimes. And I've gone out and taken handfuls of wheat, either out of the truck that I was, I was scooping the wheat out of. Sometimes, we'd, see, we'd harvest the wheat, and then we'd scoop it into the granaries. You try scooping for a full day in the middle of summer in Oklahoma. That's work. <laughs> and I would get hungry. And I would just take a handful of that wheat sometimes and just chew it and eat it. That, that, was, my, that was my nourishment on the fly. We, and that's what the disciples did. Remember when they were walking through the field and they were harvesting a little bit of grain with their hands? That's the way you do it. You put some of those wheat husks in your hand, you do like this, and you, you blow them like that to get the husk off, and then you eat them. I mean, I've done that many, many times in the fields. So here's the point. The spiritual is never disassociated from the practical. The spiritual is never disassociated from the practical. One of the things I've noticed in Jack Hayford's teachings is how often he uses the word sane and sanity. Sane. He'll say, that's not just spiritual, it's also sane. It's also sanity to do it that way. You ever known someone who claims to be very spiritual? They talk very spiritual. They act like they're very spiritual, but they don't pay their bills on time. They don't keep their word. They don't follow through on responsibilities. But, oh, I mean, you'd think they're 10 feet tall and bulletproof, as Wally says. They don't pay their bills on time. They don't show up when they say they're going to show up. They give their word and, well, it's worth just about what you pay for it. Nothing. That's the same person who seems to ask God with such sincerity which restaurant they could go to for lunch, or should go to for lunch. Oh, God, show me the right place. And then they give a measly nothing tip to the waiter or waitress who's working hard in that place. That's the same person. It's the same person that says, they, they buy an ice cream cone, but it's not just an ice cream cone. It's an ice cream cone. And God spoke to me through that ice cream cone. It was strawberry, you know. Strawberry had a, pl- a special place in my life. And God showed me that through that ice cream cone. I mean, they get this stuff all the time from everything. It's like everything they do. They don't do anything normal. Everything's spiritual, right? I mean, they don't just buy an ice cream cone. They buy an ice cream cone. I bought it. I stepped forward. You just bought an ice cream cone. Don't try to make a prophecy out of it. You know? The practical and the spiritual go together. So, what am I talking about in the middle of the present storm that we're in? I'm saying take care of what you need to take care of. Take care of what you need to take care of. Be practical. Stand in, the, stand in the storm with responsibleness, with reasonableness. Most of God's important precepts are very practical. Eat well, live well, love your family, read the Word, do what it says, be faithful. I want you to listen to Psalm 15 in the, in the Message Bible. I, I, I read it this I was I was kind of in the Message Bible this week, and it, I found some, some, some golden things there. Psalm 15. God, who gets invited to dinner at your place? Don't you love that opening? Who gets invited to dinner at your place? How do we get on your guest list? Walk straight, act right, tell the truth. Don't hurt your friend. Don't blame your neighbor. Despise the despicable. Despise the right things. Don't despise good things. Despise the wrong things. Keep your word, even when it costs you. Make an honest living. Never take a bribe. You'll never get blacklisted if you live like this. You won't get blacklisted by God, anyway, if you live like this. That's a good place to start, isn't it? How about we start with Psalm 15 in the things that are practical of life? Those tough Romans, I mean, they were tough. When they started to trust Paul, the centurion says, so Paul... What do you think we ought to do? What do you think we ought to do, dude? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm listening. And Paul says, yay, the Lord does. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't say, yay, the Lord does say unto thee. He says, you need to eat because you're going to need your strength for what we're about to face. You need to eat because you're going to need your strength. I've told you this before, the first time, I mean, I grew up in classical Pentecostal where you did not give a prophecy without preceding it with, yay, the Lord does say unto thee. I mean, that was like, and they were all in King James English. You spoke in King James English if you were prophesying. And I'll never forget the first time I heard a man in a rocking chair, rocking back and forth, old farmer, big belly, rocking and rocking. He says, Lord wants you all to know that, and I went, wait a minute, that can't be God can't be God because God doesn't talk like that. God uses King James English. We all know that, and He always begins prophecies with, "Yea, the Lord does say unto thee." Never heard it in. Any- <laughs> this guy says, "Lord wants y'all to know that... <laughs> sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is eat a hearty, balanced meal. And here's the tough part. <sighs> Oh boy, I hate saying stuff like this. Let's all try not to wash it down with a Coke or a Dr. Pepper. Man, I hate the truth, don't you? Golly. Lord. Man. Fourth lesson. Do the right thing. Especially in the middle of the storm because doing the right thing has long-term benefits. Doing the right thing has long term benefits. So Paul had submitted to the authority of these Romans that were on board the ship. But after they ignored his opinion, he kept his mouth shut. He just kept his mouth shut and let them experience what their decisions were bringing about. That's a boundaries issue. And if you want to know what I'm talking about there, read the book, Boundaries. It's a book everybody should have in your personal library. Everybody should have read it and know basically what's in that book. It's one of the great books. Go to Half Price Books and you'll get it pretty cheap there probably. Boundaries. People need to have boundaries and they need to suffer according to their own boundaries. He didn't complain. He didn't badmouth them. He didn't try to stir up his shipmates against the leaders because they had done a stupid thing and a foolish thing. He was not a divisive person on that ship. He had a good work ethic. He helped and served in every way possible. See, we don't always see the benefit to those Psalm 15 characteristics that I just read. We don't always see the benefit to those things. It's like when I go to my doctor for my annual physical and she says, are you still taking your fish oil? And I say, yep, yes, ma'am. Got it, Sarge. And then she asks me the bullet point question, how much are you taking every day? And I tell her. Yeah. What we tend to say is things like this in life. I tried that and it didn't work for me, so I quit. My question isn't, did you try it and didn't work? My question is, was it the right thing to do? If it's the right thing to do, we need to do it. And trust that the benefit, because God tells us to do things that have long term benefit, right? The benefit, the long-term benefit is going to be there even if you don't see it right now. A pastor of a very, very prominent church in our area, when I mentioned about going to Planned Parenthood one time, he just looked at me and he said, is it working for you? You see any changes down there? And I said, "Uh, no, I don't think so. And he said, you know, we used to go down there, but we didn't see any change, so we quit. This is a pastor of a very prominent church. By the way, he's no longer here, so don't try to figure out who it is. We went down for a while, didn't see any change, so we quit, we quit going down and praying, standing on the sidewalk there. Is that why we do things? Is that why we do them? Some say, I tried to be nice, didn't work. So I'm going to fight fire with fire. That's our world today. Here's the bottom line. We have to be sufficiently convinced that doing the right thing and following God's path has long-term benefits. So we do it, not because it's the easy thing to do, but because it's the right thing to do. Do we judge our life? Do we gear our life toward what's easy for us? Or do we think in terms of what's right for us? Paul did the right thing before he ever saw any benefit from it. We eat a good diet. Not so that we'll feel good this week, but so we'll be healthy in 10 years. I hope that's why you eat a good diet, so you'll be healthy in 10 years. Here's a tough one for me right now. We get on the elliptical. I traded my uh, treadmill in for Judy's elliptical. My treadmill was old, and it was really about worn out. I just worn it to death. Man, I could knock out three miles on that thing in 50 minutes and felt good. I was good with that. I could do that four days a week just all the way through. Did it for many, many years until I almost wore that thing out. Judy had almost a new elliptical. I've shared this with you. You ever climbed on one of those things? Man, I got on there and I pushed the resistance up and I thought, I'm going to tear this thing up. Ten minutes, I'm going, what is this thing I've got hold of here? I mean, it is killing me. Cody's my new hero. He, he goes on those things. Wow. I brought the resistance all the way down, and I would like for it to have been lower than nothing. You know? Could, is there anything lower than that last mark on there? <laughs> I want something lower than that. Wow. First time I got on there, I was about 15 minutes, and I, I knew I had done the same as my three miles at least. I was sweating more and tireder. I've just now gotten up to 25 minutes nonstop. I mean, this long. I've just now gotten up to 25 minutes nonstop. And when I get off now, I'm still staggering a little bit. It's like, oh, get me away from that thing. Why do I do that? I like to hurt, because I like, I hate getting on that thing. Every time I get on I go, ooh, buddy. It's like riding a bull. You know what? You just get on there and you just hold on. You ever ride a bull? Most people have never ridden a bull. I've ridden a few bulls. You just get on there and you just hold on, brother. I mean, there's nothing for it, but just hold on. Hold on and pray. Just pray. Man. We budget our finances. Not so we'll have enough money to go down and buy a Whataburger this week, but so when we're old, we'll have enough money to sustain ourselves when we can't work anymore at a job. It's a long-term benefit. That's why we have a good budget in our homes. Unfortunately, many today have a get-rich-quick view. I just want it now. I I, I want it fast. I want to just find some way to make money and make a lot of money real fast. The Bible teaches us that that is a disastrous way to live. Um, Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. The New Living Testament says. Um, the, The ESV... English Standard Version says, wealth gained hastily is referred to here. Quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. It's that over time part that's tough, isn't it? Yeah. Do not grow weary in well-doing for in, these next words are tough, in due season. Season in due season. Mm, That's when you reap. That's not a date on your calendar. That's a time in life when you need it, when you need the strength. You're getting on the elliptical because there's going to be a day you're going to need every one of those heartbeats that you pounded out. That's putting money aside, not being foolish about it because there's going to be a day you're going to need that. That's, that's eating the right meal, not because you want to feel good this week, but because you want to feel good years down the road. You want to still be able to have a good time and enjoy your wife, your husband, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids. And if you don't do that, there are consequences as much as there are consequences from gravity, Becca. I've noticed that almost every family I've ever dealt with who's having marriage problems is a couple that does not have a regular devotional time together. And the most common word today is, we both work, there's just not enough time. My response to that is, if it's a priority in your life, I believe you can find 15 to 20 minutes at least a couple of times a week to read the word, and pray about it together. I think you can make that happen. 15 to 20 minutes. And that's, and that makes an incredible difference in your life. But it's long-term. It's the build-up of the benefit. It's like fish oil. I don't feel any. I took my two big capsules of fish oil this morning. I don't feel any different about that right now but I took them because there's a long-term benefit to that. Let's teach our children to have good work ethic. My goodness, teach them to do regular chores. You know, I know, I grew up on the farm. You say, well, you had to do chores on the farm. Yeah, that's right, but there are chores that need to be done in the home. There's a day when your young men can start taking the trash out and that can be their responsibility. There's a day when the young ladies can start vacuuming and doing household responsibilities. You know, teach your children to do chores, regular things that are required of them, like a job, like responsibilities. It will benefit them for the rest of your life because they will have an orderly, healthier life. If you as a parent Bring them up in that way. Doing the right thing consistently has long-term benefits, folks, especially in the storm, and we're in a storm season. Take my word for it. We're in a storm season, and it's not just a COVID-19 season. It may be the beginning of sorrows in Matthew 24. I'm not prophesying that, but I'm saying it looks pretty much like it.